You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. We have been in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 for the last couple of months. Paul takes a turning point in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 when he calls the Ephesian Christians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that they've received. And we talked a long time ago about how that word worthy is the word axiom, and an axiom is a self-evident truth. In other words, Paul is saying that your lives as Christians should be an absolute self-evident truth that you are living a holy calling, that you are following the worthy and only God, Jesus Christ. Your life is to be this testimony that speaks for itself. Your words and your walk together form the seamless tunic of your testimony that results in people seeing the light and understanding who Jesus Christ is, wanting to know more about Him. Paul had been in Ephesus in the province of Asia Minor, He had been there for about three years preaching. He left Timothy there as a pastor to continue to help nurture the family of God there. And then about six or seven years later, he is writing, as he is imprisoned in Rome, he is writing this letter that we have in our Bibles. And he's writing to them and he's telling them how it is that they can live a life worthy of the calling that they've received. He's aware as he writes that there are three incredible enemies that they have that are absolutely against their souls, The first one, indeed, is their own sinful appetites and tendencies that dwell within them. That though they are saints in Christ Jesus, they have yet residue in their lives of the old self that is seeking to exert itself and and appetize itself on all the delights of the world. The second enemy they face is the, the very real devil, Satan himself, who with all of his demonic forces is trying to bring every Christian down and destroy every testimony and to not let the light shine in the darkness. And, and uh, uh, beyond that, there was the third enemy that Paul was painfully aware of because he'd spent three years in Ephesus. And that was the very city of Ephesus itself, the very society of Ephesus itself. And the Greek... Uh, the temple of Artemis, of Diana, this, this multi-breasted statue that stood there that in so many ways had neutralized and had normalized sexual sin to the degree that Christians who were seeking to live a holy life could not help but walk down the street and be influenced by temple prostitutes and by all manner of sexual, sexual, sexual sin. And so how is it that God's holy people are to walk it out in that environment and resist the temptations? Paul issues this letter as a way of building a theological foundation underneath which, uh, on which he builds a practical way of living for Jesus Christ in the identity that he's given us in this world. We should have a lot to learn from Ephesus and from Ephesians. Because, indeed, sexual sin has been normalized in our society. In countless ways, God's holy people today face sensual temptations and appetites that will absolutely destroy our faith and our eternity if we are not careful. How do we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received? I heard a story about a a mother who, who had just baked some cookies and had a fresh batch of cookies put in the cookie jar on the counter in the kitchen and 
She had said to her family, make sure that you don't touch these until after dinner. Well, sometime later she heard some movement in the kitchen and she heard the distinct sound of the lid of the cookie jar moving and she called out, son, what are you doing? And she heard a little voice come from the kitchen saying, my hand is in the cookie jar resisting temptation. You know, I laugh at it too, but I tell you, it sounds a little bit too much like us, doesn't it? That there we are putting ourselves in places of temptation, resisting temptation, yet putting ourselves in the very place that we need to avoid. Entering onto that slippery slope, going onto that place of no return, we try to resist temptation. We're, we're already losing the battle. On July the 20th, 1993, my birthday, I was in Thunder Bay enjoying my birthday. Unbeknownst to me, at the same day and at the same time, there was in Pennsylvania a man by the name of Donald Wyman who was out cutting wood for a mining exploration when a tree fell and rolled onto his leg, pinning him down. He cried for help for an hour, but no one came. He concluded that the only way to save his life would be out of, out of actually cutting off his leg. And so he formed a turnkey with his shoestring and tightened it with a wrench around just above his knee. He took his pocket knife out and through the skin and through the muscle and through the bone, he cut through and severed his leg. He crawled to a bulldozer 30 yards away drove a quarter of a mile to his truck, got himself inside the truck and drove a a mile and a half to a farm while his leg was bleeding profusely. And there he found a farmer by the name of John Huber who helped him to get to the hospital where his life was spared. You see, if Donald Wyman was willing to cut off... Donald Wyman was willing to cut off his leg, you see in order to save his life. The argument that we could take from that is that somebody has to be willing to give up the lesser in order to take hold of the greater. And Jesus teaches this principle in countless ways and in, on many occasions. He says in Matthew 5 verse 29 that if your right eye, having just said that anybody who looks upon a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery with her already in his heart, And he says right after that that if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And he goes on to talk about it. And if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off, for it is better for you to lose one member of your body than to lose your whole body and to be thrown into hell. He he talks like that on several occasions. Another time, Jesus says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Jesus teaches, and Paul teaches in the text we're looking at today, that if you don't fight lust, you will not go to heaven. That if you do not fight lust and sexual sin, you will not go to heaven. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and take a look at this sobering text that Paul lays out in simple terms 
for us to read even 2,000 years later. Ephesians chapter 5, and let's begin with verse 1. Would you stand with me as we listen to God's Word? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. And that is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. May God bless his word today to us. You may be seated. This is indeed a great passage for us to be looking at on Father's Day, for in this very passage there is a a reminder that we have a heavenly Father that we are to imitate. Verse 1, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Following the service, as you leave, we have the ushers that have a gift for all fathers, in fact, all men today to receive. It's a, a, a devotional called Men of Honor. We'd like to give it to you as a gift. I was reading it this past week, and the second day it talks about being a role model as fathers. And the author points out TV shows like The Simpsons and The Family Guy that make us all want to not even associate with the word father. But you see, the, the Word of God, the Bible, picks us up and, and takes us to a different journey altogether. It exalts the term father so very much that God himself took it upon himself. God said, I am your heavenly father. What higher calling could there be than this? And so let's take a look at what Paul says about being a, a, uh, an example as, as our Heavenly Father is an example. And we're going to begin as our sermon outline that you have in your bulletin suggests with a, a point that I'd like to share from verses 1 and 2, that the source of a holy life comes from being imitators of the Father. It's a very easy point to understand. Imitating is something that we see children do from the earliest times when they're able to actually understand and, and notice things. And, and what is true in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm, is, is true in the spiritual realm. We see that indeed this imitation is, is not just acting a part, pretending something that's not true. It's actually really doing and really wanting to do what you see done. It's, it's actually where we get our word mimicking from. And so we, we understand and we know that children resemble their parents. Genetically, behaviorally, children often look like mom and dad. They learn to act like mom and dad, walk like them, talk like them, behave like them. 
And that's because there is no greater influence on a child's life at that time than mom and dad. And so they take upon themselves. We grow in the image of those we love. And at that time, there is such a huge influence of mom and dad on those infants that they, they actually begin to imitate them in every way. You see, our relationship to God is to be like that. So real, so day-to-day, so moment-to-moment, so much of the influence of God the Father upon us that we imitate Him. We don't have to fake it. It's not imitating in some kind of an acting way. We actually learn to hate the things that He hates. We learn to love the things that He loves and do the things that He does. And if we don't see that in our lives, it's not responded to by just gritting down and trying harder to be like God. That's not the answer. The answer is you're obviously letting so many other influences upon your life that the Father is no longer the influencing factor. If you see a vine that is not fruitful, you don't chastise the the very little twig at the end of the vine to be more fruitful. You go back to the source and see where is it connected. You see, the reason that we don't imitate the Father, the reason that we as children of God don't look like the Father in all of His beauty and holiness is because we are not connected like we ought to be. It's because we have so many other influences upon our lives, just as they had in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. And so Paul is saying in these passages, and he is urging Christians get close to the Father, abide in His love, know His Word, love the things He loves. And so this, this understanding has got to be the basis. In fact, I believe that this passage of Scripture could be very easily used to, to beat up the saints when we talk about sexual sin and so on. But the reason that I have included chapter 5, 1 and 2 in this passage instead of last week's passage is because We have to understand that the chastisement, the warning, the instruction about sexual sin is in the context of God reminding us that we're His children, that He loves us with a sacrificial love, that He poured out His own love upon us in that He sent His one and only Son to the earth that we might be redeemed and be be given eternal life that we might be adopted into the family as we've had portrayed to us through the penners this morning. That's what he did. He, he adopted us into his family. Before we were even in existence, in eternity past, he chose to set his love upon us and he poured out his mercy and there's nothing that we can say that we deserve because we chose to be adopted. He chose to adopt us. Just as the penners did. Aiden. I want you to know, you Christians who wrestle with sin, I want you to know before you hear the strong, heavy freight that Paul's about to unload, I want you to hear this. God loves you. You're a child of God. He's given you everything you need, every spiritual blessing in Christ. He wants you To walk it out in holiness, He's able to meet you in your desperate need. Don't despair. Don't despair. I have 
lived long enough in cycles of shame and the fear of sin in my own life to know that it is a short-lived and anemic force to motivate toward holiness. Chastising, hearing about the heavy hand of God's wrath and judgment isn't going to sustain a long obedience in the same direction. But friends, when you listen to the fact that the Father loves you, that He's given His Son to, to intercede for you even today, I want you to know there's hope for you, regardless of your place in sin. This sin that can cause you to be so weak, to feel so worthless and isolated, to be so vulnerable, you need to hear a, a message today that reminds you of the love of God. So let's take a look at the second point. As we open up the heavier freight, as I said, concerning sin, Paul says in verse 3 that there must not even among the saints in Christ Jesus be even a hint of sexual immorality. The word used there is porneia, where we get our word pornography. Paul's saying there shouldn't even be a hint of it. The word actually is translated, it should not be named among you. You, you see, in chapter 3, verse 15, he said that every child of God in heaven and on earth that, that is right now in the kingdom has the name of the Father, by whose name everyone in heaven and on earth derives its name, he says, and that name should never be associated with the name of the sexual morality that so much occupied Ephesus. Not even a trace of it. It's unbecoming. How do we live today? How do we live today like that? Daily we are being bombarded in media and in society and in relationships with messages that titillate our senses and draw us in to want to satisfy our appetites, promising us that we will find what we need if we would just take that detour and that road, a deceptive lie. And so we're called to keep our eyes on, the, on God's promises. You see, sin really is all about a battle against unbelief. Because every sin that is seeking to take us on a detour is promising to satisfy us in an illegitimate way that God has said is not the best way for you. It all started in the garden and it hasn't stopped, friends. How do we live a holy life? Paul addresses holy living in verse 3 and holy language in verse 4. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. Everything is like that is out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The word foolish talk is the word moron. Don't be a moron. We, we see it, we hear it around the water fountain, on the radio, on the late night talk shows. The moronic talk. The absolutely foolish jesting. The double meaning which the Ephesians were especially known for. The meaning on the top that is innocent and then the sexualized and guttural and, and smutty meaning underneath it. It's revolting. The exchange life that God calls us to, he says one word to, to match all that. He says just thanksgiving. That's your language, thanksgiving. You see, when, you, when you've received the good gifts of God, you should be thankful. 
I'm not suggesting today for one moment that Christians are to be dull, prudish misfits of Victorian mindset. Laughter is good for the soul. The American Health Magazine finally came to see what the Scriptures have taught long ago in the Proverbs, that healthy, good laughing is good for the soul. It's like inner jogging. It's like laugh-resizing. It's like a laugh diet. Why is it that the world takes so long to legitimize what God's Word has taught a long time ago? But you see, the world takes it and, and, and perverts it. The, world's ta- the world takes sense of humor and laughing and joking and perverts it. God wants it to be pure. The, the world takes sex and prostitutes it. God wants it to be pure. Every good gift that God gives, the world takes and, and, and sells it for cheap wares and tries to lure us in. Chapter 5, verses 5 to 7, Paul takes off the gloves as he shares the raw truth. I don't have time to go into this, but I want you to see that on the bottom of your notes, there's a few other passages that I've listed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5. These are passages where Paul literally, literally tells us who will not be in heaven. Can you imagine that such a scripture exists? The scripture says, these people won't go to heaven. Who are they? Sexually immoral, impure, greedy, adulterers, prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, those who practice debauchery, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That is, friends, a direct quote from those three passages. I didn't make that up. You might look at the list and say, well, do they all belong together? I mean, should you put jealousy alongside witchcraft? Yeah. The commonality of them that is found is that in all three passages, the word that just unites them all is the word idolatry. All of this, he says, is idolatry. Idolaters will not be in heaven. It doesn't matter what you make as your supreme idol. If you've substituted the living God that sent his son to die for you for some other thing, you won't be going to heaven. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian. It doesn't matter if you prayed the prayer. Don't don't be deceived that you can take all the warnings of Scripture and sweep them under the rug because of some little prayer that you prayed sometime, friends. Don't be deceived. Let me be clear on this. God's wrath will remain and fall heavily on the day of judgment upon all idolatry. It is a matter of the heart. And that's why Paul, in the very list that we've just described, will describe as well, to make it clear, because he's talking to saints, Christians, who struggle with these sins. He makes it clear, those who practice such things, Galatians 5.21, those who continue in these ways, 1 John 3.9, those who continue in this sin, they will be judged. 
You might be saying, well, I'm struggling with the same sin that I had many years ago. And I can't say that I'll never struggle again or fall again. I want you to know, I, we, we don't want to fall off either side of the fence this morning. We do not want to neither condemn the repentant sinner who is seeking to follow Jesus and has sinned. Nor do we want to condone him in periodic lapses into sin as if that was to be acceptable as the normal Christian life, as good as it gets. You see, we should never be accepting anything of sin to live. Paul says, crucify that. And that takes us to our third point. How do you do that, really? Verse, verses 8 to 14 remind us the fruit of a holy life is walking in the dark as children of the light. Let's move on to this and take a look at verses 8 to 14. To be occupied with an altogether different focus is the only way of struggling with the sin and crucifying it. To put it off, you have to put on something else. And so you have to be occupied with the light and walking in the light if you're going to overcome that which is in the darkness. It's like the old Puritan that used to he talked about in a sermon the expulsive power of a new affection. Donald Gray Barnhouse has a wonderful way of describing what happened when Christ ascended back to heaven after his death and resurrection. While he was on the wor world in the world, he was the light of the world. But when he was taken up, it was like the sun when it sets and the moon comes up and starts to reflect the sun. That's the picture of the church, you see, in this age. We are reflecting the Son, Jesus Christ. We, we shine not with a righteousness or glory of our own, but the, with a reflection. So he says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Find out what pleases Him. Every day is Father's Day for our Heavenly Father because every day we're trying to figure out what is it that pleases my Heavenly Father? How can I spend more time with my Heavenly Father? How can I learn to imitate Him? How can His influence be more upon my life instead of all those other things that compete with the influence of my Heavenly Father? Imagine for a moment that you're in a store looking at some fabric or a piece of clothing and you can't quite see it in the artificial lighting and so you, you ask permission to take it out in, outside in the natural light. And there you see all of the beauty of the color and the hue of that piece of clothing. That's a picture of our lives as Christians. We should be walking it out in this world that is so preoccupied. And we're so preoccupied with pleasing the Father that our very lives shine the natural light of God and exposes the true colors of sin all around us. I read some time ago this book by, about the British explorer Ernest Shackleton whose crew was caught in ice in the South Pole area, a ship called Endurance, stuck in polar ice, fighting to survive. Many died. But you'd be surprised at one of the things that was the greatest enemies that they fought. It was darkness. Darkness was one of the things that drove men crazy. You see, in the, north, in the South Pole, the sun goes down in mid-May and it doesn't come up until mid-July or late July. And in the biographers that write about the expedition, those two and a half months of no sunshine were devastating. Men driven crazy, 
desolation that sets in, isolation, sense of no direction, not being able to see yourself or another individual for months loses a sense of who you are in your identity and your direction. And the physical darkness brings such a disorientation that it drove men insane. And so does spending too much time in the spiritual darkness of this world without the light of God in your life. If you are going to spend more time in the darkness and more influences from the darkness, you are going to lose your identity. You are going to not have a sense of of ownership in God's family. You're not going to be able to understand who you are in Jesus Christ and all that He has for you. And so if you live in that darkness away from the light of the Father's influence, what could you expect except to grow in the image of that which you love in sin? Friends, please hear the warning this morning. I'm telling you who are Christians that struggle with sin, stay in the fight, lean heavily on the grace of God, Be accountable with other brothers and sisters. Walk it out in integrity and recognize the incredible mercy of God, the grace that is your exchanged life. And Do not focus on the darkness, but live in the light. And that's why this scripture ends with this powerful scripture. Wake up, O sleeper. Wake up. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Would you stand with me? I'll ask Kevin and the worship team to come. We won't sing our last song, but I'll ask them to play some music. And um, just a, a close in prayer. I'll do that right now. I want to pray, and, and I want to pray in such a way that you can sort of adopt that prayer for yourself. And then at the end of that, I will pronounce a benediction, and, and, and we'll have a three or four minute time when some of you might need to leave But we're going to remain here and uh, some of us will remain and be praying for the Demonye family and for the Penner family. So let's let's just take some time to come before the the Lord in prayer. Shall we pray? (laughs) Almighty God, we we come to you now. We're, We're broken, we're weak. Oh, Father, you know how frail we are in the face of sin and with the encroaching darkness that we walk in Trying to walk in the light, in the darkness is difficult, oh God. We've been caught sometimes with our hand in the cookie jar, resisting temptation. (laughs) Oh God, we can be so foolish. And so we ask you, have mercy. Have mercy, oh Lord, upon us. You know our need, oh God. I pray for individuals this morning, standing right now in this place or listening on our webpage. Father, I just ask you, meet us in our need. Let your truth be deeply sinking into our minds and hearts. Let us resist the unbelief, O God, of all the things that are are seeking to satisfy our deeper appetites. And let us choose in each moment upon each temptation. Choose you, Lord Jesus. You are our everything. All our hope is in you. All the grace we receive from the Father is in you. All the new life that you have for us is in you. And so we run to you, Jesus. We we run to you. You're worthy. 
you're worthy. And the only way we'll ever live worthily is by us saying, you're worthy. We don't want to be idolaters, oh God. Not one thing should take supremacy over Jesus Christ. Let not one thing be named among us that takes supremacy over your Lordship, Jesus. Have mercy, O God, upon those who cry out to you right now. Have mercy, O God. You know the traps that are set, Lord God. Help us. Help us, O Lord. And help us to help one another, O God. Make the body of Christ a body. Have your mercy, O God, upon us. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Lord, receive that word today. We receive it today. We receive that message today into our hearts. We count on you to be faithful, O God. And we give our lives afresh to you, rededicating ourselves to the holy calling, the worthy calling, knowing that, oh God, losing anything at all on this earth is worth it if it means that we're going to gain our souls eternally in heaven. We ask you, Jesus, to meet us now and be glorified in your church. We pray in your precious and holy name. Amen. And God's people said, amen. Go in peace. Oh.